Sunsets from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. This morning, what I'm speaking about, called it the power of divine alignment. And I don't preach, I just share thoughts in my heart, what God dropped in my heart. For a while, I've just been reflecting on how, how do we live in a broken world? Everything seems to be so upside down, so uncertain. We were just talking last Sunday and just reflecting. And if you talk about Nigeria, you can go to ours and end up not going anywhere. <laughs> it takes the grace of God to keep you focused. But one thing has been in my mind for a bit. Um, 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if any man loves the world, it says the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It says, and the world passeth away, and the loss thereof. It says, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And that's where we started to reflect that last verse. It says, he that abideth, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I like to read the Bible conversely. That means he that does not the will of God does not abide forever. And so life is a stark choice. You have to make a choice either for or against. There's no middle ground. And so you ask yourself, Why are things the way they are? How do I function in this situation? How do I live effectively? You know, many people are jackpying up, up and down, jackpot this way, jackpot that way. Intention good to live a good life, give your children a, a future, escape the pains and hardship of, of our country, or every country, people are Japanese all over the world. But I ask myself a question, you know, many people are running because of circumstances. Did God send you? Because when there are tough circumstances and God sends you, he provides. Case in point, Isaac, Genesis 22, or 26. It says there was famine in the land. And he did the logical thing, which was go down to Egypt where there was food. I mean, if you have no food and you don't want to die, you go where there's food. It's, it's a normal, rational thought. In fact, his father, Abraham, had done it. But God said to him, stay in that land and I will bless you. And he did stay. It wasn't easy. He didn't just stay and then food just came. Manna wasn't there that time. But he had to dig and dig wells 
for sustenance. He dug contention. He dug contention. Then room came, but he still kept digging. So when God doesn't send you somewhere, you will get into hardship. And that's what many of our brothers are going through. Let's be truthful. There are many out there who can't come back because they burnt all the bridges, sold everything, went there, it's not working. If they come back, how can they face you? Trust me, many. Please hear me, I'm not saying don't travel. I'm not saying don't give a better life to your family. I'm saying let God guide you. When you travel abroad, the one thing the enemy is ravaging the whole world right now is uncompromise. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, LGBTQ. As I'm talking now, if I was in Canada, they would arrest me. You know, they, 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 they want to be called they, she, heat. I don't know all the pronouns anymore. If you deliberately or intentionally refuse to call them that, it's called harassment. In fact, they say it's equal to violence. And when you're out there, the laws are getting crazier by the day. I mean, the Vice President of the US came to Ghana the other day and went to a few other countries and they're trying to force everybody to take on this agenda. Uganda has told them, we are just joking, we kill anyone. We seem removed from it, but when you get in there, it faces you at the workplace. Anything you do is termed discrimination. If you say, I don't recognize this based on scripture, you'll be discriminated. Yeah, in fact, you are discriminating, and you can be prosecuted. In Canada, you can be fined $25,000. 25000 Convert that to Naira <laughs> for taking a position. And so I've been asking myself if, you know, when I, when I think about that, then I think about Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot, it says, the Bible says, righteous Lot. He was vexed in his spirit, but he lived there. He stayed on. He was even at the gate with them. To the extent they come and try and take your visitors. In those, in those climbs, your visitor is like sacred. You, can, you cannot, no harm can befall him in your custody. But what would make a man give his virgin daughters to a ravaging mob to save a man? Don't make sense. But that is the depravity Lot came to. But he was called a righteous Lot. He was vexed daily. Yet, he didn't pack and go. You know, the choices we're going to be confronted with as, the, as things go on are going to be very clear. God is at a point where he's dividing between the goats and the sheep. Not just people, but nations. So be careful which nation you're going to. Because they are goat nations. And they're marked for destruction. Don't go and be like Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah was marked 
before destruction. And he was saved by the skin of his teeth because of Abraham's intercession. You wonder why when Abraham kept interceding and he stopped at 10. You, you always wonder why, right? In the Israeli tradition, 10 is the number of government. So it's expected that you'll be able to affect things when you're 10. So he didn't bother going anywhere because he expected a lot, has learned a lot from me, he should know better. But they were not up to 10. That's why God had to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so this is what has been engaging my mind. And I came to understand that alignment with God is the only way to survive in these times. And that alignment with God is what we are all running away from. Because it's hard, it seems hard. But you see, back to that scripture in 1 John, it says the one who does the will of God abideth forever. It's that simple. If you don't do the will, you don't abide forever. It's your choice. Let me, let me try and, so we're on the same page, let me try and explain what alignment means. We have a general idea, but you know, sometimes there's a reason why there's a dictionary. Check it so that you are clear. Alignment is when there's a position or, or an agreement about something. So when we say in English, you're, you're on the same page, it means you, you understand each other and you agree with that thing. And that's the, the area you're going to. So you know, on, on a car, you talk about wheel alignment. So the alignment on wheels is to make those two tires work in sync. It reduces wear and tear because if one is walking in this direction and the other that direction, they begin to wear, the wear and tear becomes very different. But once you've done that, your tires last longer. But if alignment is not right, the tires get destroyed very quickly. And that is what God uses to judge us, whether we're aligned with him or not. With God, it's very simple. We're the ones who complicate matters. You know, I love ladies, but they make life difficult with colors. We know black, white, gray. We don't know all those fuchsia, or burnt orange, and teal. Then uh, there's one green, they, I've forgotten that green. They, they had the other day, I was just shaking my head. Everything is a green, chameleon green, uh, ostrich yellow. <laughs> Life is very simple. It's just, they taught us violet, indigo, blue, green, yellow, orange, red. That's all. Everything else is just fancy. It's a joke. <laughs> With God, it's very simple. The choices are clear. You go this way, that's what happens. You go that way, that's what happens. But he measures us by how aligned we are to his word and to his will. Amos chapter 7. Amos chapter 7. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. I'll, 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 I'll call out a number of scriptures. Some I won't read, but please note and go back and be like a Berean Christian. 
Amos 7, verses 8 and 9, Amplified Version. It says, And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And he said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I am setting a plumb line as a standard in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by and spare them anymore. The door of mercy is shut. And the idolatrous high places of Isaac or Israel shall be desolate. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. It says, And I will rise with the sword against the house of King Jeroboam, who set up the golden calf shrines. Now, the context for this, you know, when you read the Bible, please, don't take verses in isolation. Understand the context. To understand context, this English class, you know the pretext and the post-text. Pretext is the text before the text, and post-text is the text after the text. To get full context, read. For those of you who did literature, it's nothing new I'm teaching you. I tell you what's the context, who said this, when, where, to who, and what. In this scripture, this is around the time of King Jeroboam. Who, who did he take over from King Jeroboam? This Bible study. King Jeroboam. Nobody here should talk. Who did he take over from? King Jeroboam. Who did he take over as king from? Don't talk. You did Bible study last Sunday. What's all this now? <laughs> Wonderful. Pastor See the work now. Okay. King Jeroboam is the one who built the golden calves in Bethel, right? It, thank you. I didn't want you to say it, but <laughs> you said it under your breath. <laughs> He took over from Solomon. Remember, God had divided the kingdom after Solomon messed up. And God had said to David that even when your son should sin, I will not take the throne. He says eternally that there will be someone from your lineage on the throne. But that when, if even if your son misbehaves, I will not take it away. I will only divide. And that's what God did. So Jeroboam took the other bit. And he now instituted calf worship in place of God. And that's when God sent Amos. Amos was a sheep bearer. He was not a prophet. But God called him to go and give that message. And he just went. No training, no school of the prophet, nothing. He just went and gave the word. Amaziah, the one who was the priest, was getting frustrated. How can he come and just talk? Who is he? I'm digressing, but let's get back to this. God said to Amos, and the, the verses before, Amos, God had said, showed him a plague of locusts he was going to use to destroy Israel. But Amos interceded, and God stayed his hand. Then he showed him fire. He interceded again, and God stayed his hand. But this time, he told him, there's a plumb line. Israel has been messing up. I've just been watching them. He says, but there's a plumb line. A plumb line is something you use in construction. At the end of a string, there's a weight, usually with a pointed arrow. So using gravity, they use it to calibrate whether a wall is straight or not, vertically, or even at an angle. And when it is not, they will destroy the wall. And that's what God was saying, that I set, I've set a plumb line 
for my people. He says, the door of mercy is shut. No longer. And I feel that's what God is saying for the time we live in. The door of mercy is shut. He has set the plumb line in place. And that is what he uses to measure whether we're aligned or not. Divine alignment is so key where God is concerned now. We're at risk of falling away if we don't set things in order. That's why I know there's a spirit of repentance here this morning. Like, God bless Pastor Ibim for last week's message. You know, she just gave me a segue to come into. You cannot serve God if you don't prioritize him. Those parables about the treasure in the field, very powerful. A man finds something of value and he sells all he has to get it. God says, I'm a jealous God. I will share my glory with no man. When God wants to do it, he wants to do it by himself so that it is clear. Abraham understood God when he met um, the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, when they were captured. They said, take the spoil, which was the normal thing in a war. If you win a battle, you take the spoil. Say, so just give me the men. Abraham said, no. I will take nothing so that no one will say they made Abraham. That is God's preserve. Everything Abraham was and did was by God. If you can't prioritize him, you can't come into alignment with him. The mood where God is concerned now, he's looking for those who will be intimate with him. He will not reveal secrets to anybody except to those who are intimate with him. God always tests our alignment. Always. Abraham, Genesis 22. God says, take your son, your only begotten son, the one whom you love, in case you missed and said it's Ishmael, Isaac, and go and sacrifice him. If you go to Genesis 22, in verses um, 2 I'll just read a few verses okay 1 2 and then I'll read 15 to 18 it says now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and he said to him Abraham and he said here I am then he said take now your son your only son Isaac whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you Verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, sorry, verse 15, 15 to 18, says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, and he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son, says, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore. 
and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And you know, this is exactly what he told him in Genesis 12 when he called him. He says, you'll be the father of the nations. In you, all nations will be blessed. But he still tested him. And then he established that covenant. He said, because of what he did. That means if Abraham failed the test, that was it, game over. God is not fair, but he wants to be sure of you. And he will test you when you have gone far. So you think no more exam. He will test you. Job. <laughs> Sometimes I don't understand God myself, oh, truly. Job chapter 23. We all know what Job went through. Many of us avoid reading the book because we don't want the wala to come on us. It will come on you. It's not cause. Because God will try you. But in Job 23, 3 to 4, 8 to 11, it says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Or oh, let me read the Amplified. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my cause before him and I will fill my mouth with arguments. Verse 8, Behold, I go forward and to the east, but he's not there. I go backward and to the west, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand and to the north where he works, I seek him, but I cannot behold him. He turns himself to the right hand and to the south, but I cannot see him. He says in 10, but he knows the way that I take. He has concern for it. He appreciates and pays attention to it. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as, gold, as refined gold, pure and luminous. My foot has held fast to his steps. His ways have I kept and not turned aside. And so Job, in all that he went through, his mindset was, I will keep going. He says, because whatever I go through, I will come out as gold. He had that assurance. His whole life was a test. I don't know many of us, how many of us can withstand what he went through. But his mindset was, God is everything. These are people who were aligned with God. Alignment with God does not mean you will not go through things, but it is your ability to see the end from the beginning that matters. To know and have trust in Him. Hebrews 12. Just read the first three verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged 
in your souls. This is one of the scriptures that God gave me when I started thinking through. I just thoughts were just colliding. That Jesus is our pattern. He says there's a cloud of witnesses in heaven that is cheering on the generation now because they cannot be complete or fulfilled till we succeed. Or if it goes beyond us, till whoever, the last generation. But he says to run effectively, you must lay aside every weight and sins that easily ensnare or beset us and then run with endurance. But he says in verse 2 that looking unto Jesus, the pattern is looking unto him who is the author, the finisher of our faith. And because of what he set before him, he was able to run. And so he modeled how we should live. When you look at John chapter 4, verse 34, it says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. His whole existence was about obeying the will of God and finishing the work he was sent. He says, I am my father, I one. What I see him do, I do. Conversely, what I don't see him do, I don't do. And he's come as a pattern for us. And that has to be our own guide. When he was at the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, always calibrating your mind that when Jesus was here, he was man, not God. He was of divine origin, but he came as man because he had to set a pattern for us to follow. If he came as God, then we can never attain to what he did. But he said, these things that I do, greater will you do. That is because he was man. And so he came and he died like a man and resurrected so that we know we have a hope. That's the work he came to do. And he fulfilled it. He finished it. And he's left us with tasks. It's not to make money, buy a house in New York, London, South Africa, everywhere. And feel you are fulfilled in life. His prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane is, if this cup could pass, Lord, let it pass. But nevertheless, let thy will be done. He talked about how intense the prayers he made were at that place, such that sweat was like blood. That is the agony of prayer. The, the, the intensity of what he was praying. If you've ever been in a place where you are praying about something that deeply affects you, and the little one that worries your insides, you will pray to your insides want to come out. This one was beyond that. Where sweat is like blood. That means your, your blood um, vessels have congealed because of the, the effort and they are pushing out blood. 
stayed. He finished the task. What I see is God is looking for people who in this time, with all the madness around, who will stand in spite of the pressure, will stand. And they will face up to whatever comes against them. Let's say tough times bring tough people. Dire times bring people who are like weapons in the hand of God. And that's what he's doing. You know, people have a way of when you get a prophetic word and he says, you're going to see victory. You're going to see abundance. We are happy. I go back and start praying because victory means you will fight. <laughs> it means you will fight. You don't get victory. It doesn't, it doesn't get handed over. You don't win a trophy without racing. <laughs> so when there's abundance, there will be luck before the abundance will come. Isaiah 60, very simple, is scriptural. He says, darkness covers the earth. Dense darkness, the people. He says, but the light will come upon you and it will be seen. Light can only be seen in darkness in its full extent. So when you see the times are dark, you should begin to follow through because light is coming. And make sure you're walking in the light. That's not the time to start crying. See my lips here. It's the time to stand. I'm going to stand on the promises of God. Those are the people God is looking for in this time. Who will stand in the midst of pressure and represent him. Numbers 14. Just briefly introduce a couple of people who were like that. Looking at verses 22 to 24. This is when the spies had gone to spy out the land and they came back and only two had a good report. The remaining 10 had a, an evil report that the land will swallow us. It was just Caleb and Joshua. And in verse 22, this God saying to Joshua, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these 10 times and they have not heeded my voice. He says, they shall certainly not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. He says in 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and he has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went. And he says, his descendants shall inherit it. The hallmark is that he had a different spirit and he followed fully, not halfly, if there's such a word. Those are the people God is looking for. People who will, they will not be moved by what they see. They will be moved by what he says. And they will take their stand based on that. 
Second Corinthians 4, look at Paul. Second Corinthians 4, 7 to 10. I want to look at the Amplified. We know Paul's antecedents. He was trained as a lawyer by one of the top lawyers of those days. He was erudite. He was scholarly. He could stand his own anywhere. In any, if you took him to the king, he could speak. In verse 7, it says, However, we possess this precious treasure, the divine light of the gospel, in frail human vessels of earth, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. We are hedged in, pressed on every side, troubled and oppressed in every way. It says, but we are not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassments and are perplexed and are unable to find a way out, but we are not driven to despair. We are pursued, persecuted, and hard-driven, but we are not deserted to stand alone. We are struck down to the ground, but we are never struck out and destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the liability and exposure to the same putting to death that the Lord Jesus suffered, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown forth by and in our bodies. You know, he was stoned several times to death and he would literally resurrect. He was whipped. You know, the biggest whipping you could get was 49 strokes. He was whipped not once, not twice, that number of strokes. And those whips were not just koboko, with all kinds of pieces of glass. You see how Jesus died. But he kept going. This is someone who had the highest degree in law, everything. He had, he had a life. But he gave it up to follow the gospel. And he was not moved by what he faced. He kept going. These are the people God will trust. When you read about the things they did, the other day Pastor Moore was speaking about Othniel, who was Caleb's son-in-law. Caleb had decided at 85, when most of us will be bent on, that he's going to take the land, meaning he was going to fight. When you think of the exploits those men performed, then you begin to understand what it takes to stand with God. A man who is aligned with God is very lethal. The other day I was talking about Samson. Samson fell. But when he was restored, he was more lethal than when he was alive. Than when he was not blind. With all the anointing he had, in that one day, he took out the government of the Philistines. Something he had not been able to do all the years. Because he was realigned with God. Never despise alignment with God. You can't do anything 
better than if God is with you. Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, comes to Ahab, the king. And he says, as the Lord God lives before whom I stand, there shall be no rain until at my word, until I say so. And he walks out. And there's no rain for three and a half years. What gives him the temerity? You know, in those days, if the king doesn't summon you, they can cut your head off if you come before him. Prophets lost their lives just for, see how Ahab now locked uh, Micaiah up. Say, when I come back from the west, say, you won't come back. <laughs> Zedekiah, what was his name, was saying that you're going to win two horns and say, Chennai, you, you, would, you will overcome. <laughs> that Micaiah was a very troublesome guy. He said, you slap me, eh? you will not see. <laughs> But Elijah just came out and just made that statement and walked away. That's the first introduction you have of Elijah, the Tishbite. Don't know where he came from. He just walked to the king and told him and walked away. And there was no rain. But when we read James, you begin to understand. He says he prayed earnestly and there was no rain. Then he prayed again earnestly and there was rain. Because he had, God couldn't just send the rain. He had to say it at his word because that's what he said at my word so he had to declare it before rain would come you see when God begins to walk with men like that you begin to understand that we are playing Joshua in Joshua 10 the Gibeonites were attacked and they called him and he went and he was looking at night coming and saying we need time to take these guys out so he says he spoke to the Lord and then he spoke to Israel. He spoke in the sight of Israel. Sun, moon, stand still. And they stood still. Scientists would tell you there's one missing day somewhere but it was restored in the time of Hezekiah. Go and check. Everything moved one degree this way then it moved back. Scientists have tried. They cannot controvert the Bible. What would make God walk with men like that? When they decree a thing, it is established. They literally suspend natural laws. The only people who can do that are people who come into alignment with God. I will wrap up with a few things to point us in that direction. But the bottom line really is, Hebrews 1, 12 told us that you lay aside every weight. And it didn't say lay aside the sin. It says the weight and the sin that easily besets you. There's so much theology around the sin that easily besets you. Whatever it is, this easily besets you. I don't want to go into which one is it, which is it, is that. But it's the weight bit that concerns me. A weight is something that hinders you. It's an encumbrance. It's something that will limit you or hinder you from attaining something. It's not a sin, but it is anything. I think for us in this world today, 
That's the biggest problem. What are weights? Being practical. Mobile phones, tablets, social media, telenovela for the women, Premier League for the men. Because those things take your time. God is a jealous God. If you understand the way God operates, many times he, he constantly tests you. In Exodus 30, he told Moses, come up and I will speak to you. Moses went up and he sat down. Seven days, he didn't talk to him. He didn't say anything to Moses. Seven days. On the seventh day, he said, okay, come up into the cloud. Then he now spoke for 40 days. No food, nothing. Then he came down and his face was glistening with the glory. You cannot be in God's presence and not be changed. It's not possible. I will question where you went. You can feel the ghost bombs, you know. Well, let me put it this way. Coming into the presence, worship can take you in. It's not going in that is the problem. It's staying there. Because you can just experience something, goosebumps, feel good. With God, you just stay till he says it's time to go. So you can go in saying, I just want to do one night. And he keeps you there. Those are the ones he entrusts. That's why David, Joseph, Moses had to go through years of seeming stagnation. God felt they were prepared and ready. Till they were aligned. Because then he knows you will withstand all the pressures that will come. So first thing is, you need to lay aside those weights. I'm not even going to the sin. We know sin kills. But weights... You know, athletes, when they train, a sprinter, one of the trainings they do is they go and run by the beach because the sand with water, it's heavier. So it's more difficult to run on sand than on hard ground. So they run, they train on that. And then in addition, they put weights on their legs. So when they can master that, they'll be very fast. But he says, lay aside the weights that you might run effectively. When I was last night, this was just highlighted for me. That's why I know there's, I understood it when we came and the worship was going the way it went. That there's a spirit of repentance to lay aside things. They are the things that are making us compromise. Compromise is the one thing the enemy is using today entrap many of us. Second thing, Hebrews 12 says, that we should look to Jesus, that is the author, the finisher of our faith, the pattern we must follow. So the, the flyer about the mirror, comes from 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, we all with open face beholding as in a mirror 
the word of God are changed and transformed. You need to spend copious time in his word. Every, anything I am in life today, my guidance is usually from the word. It's not about what people say. It's more about the word. It has to check out with the word. There's deep wisdom in the word of God. If you doubt me, do an exercise for the next three months. Take the book of Proverbs. Every day, read one proverb. There are 31. Read it for one month. Second month, come back and do the same thing. Third month, come and do the same thing. Tell me if you think the same way. There's so much wisdom packed in that book. It will shape the way you think. It will change the way you think about things. The way you view things. Third thing. Hebrews 12 again. Talks about running a race. With endurance. And I add resilience. The ability to go through pressure. And stay the course. Is what endurance and resilience are all about. That is how we are called to run. In um, um, Second Timothy, it says we should endure hardness as a good soldier. It says no man wins the race without mastery. And the final thing, we must walk in obedience. Too many of us are out of obedience. God has told you to do something. You see it's not adding up. It doesn't make sense. It's hard. You just leave it. The thing I know about God, when he sets you an exam, you must pass it. If you fail it, you will go back and repeat it. You will keep repeating till you pass it. So you'll be wondering, why is this thing like this? Why? Go and check. There was a point you turned away from what he asked you to do. When you restore that, things will shift. Many of you looking at me are in that place. You have forgotten the Holy Spirit will remind you today. The areas you turned away that you need to turn back. You see Abraham, Moses, the reasons they were, they were obedient. It says about Abraham that he was, the father, he was called the father of faith because of what he did. His trust in God was absolute. This morning, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a presence of God that is available to restore. That is available to transform, to change. If your hearts are open, He's here. Ancient words never true change in me and change in you we have come with open arms oh let the ancient words as we worship I just want you to create space around you 
There's something on the song that God wants to do. His words, they're not new words, they're ancient words, but they are wired to shift things in you. Just open your heart and worship this morning. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.